transmitting live from the heart of Times Square on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area. This is Trump Watch, a weekly series examining how President Donald John Trump and his administration are changing the world we live in. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. The Chinese ministry won't confirm that you're going to be meeting with President Xi um, at the G20. If, if they don't come, if President Xi doesn't come, will that mean that the tariffs on China for the additional $300 billion in goods go on immediately? Yes, it would. And I think he will go. And I think we're scheduled to have a meeting. I think he'll go. And I have a great relationship with him. He's actually an incredible guy. He's a great man. Uh, he's very, uh, very uh, strong and very smart. But he's for China. And I'm for the United States. It's a very simple it's a very simple uh, stat. He's for China, I'm for the U.S., so we're going to have our differences. But I think the differences can be worked out very easily. I would be surprised if he didn't go. I think he's going. I haven't heard that he's not. We're expected to meet. And if we do, that's fine. And if we don't, that's fine. Look, from our standpoint, the best deal we can have is 25 percent on $600 billion, okay? That was President Trump speaking to CNBC correspondent Becky Quick in a phone interview on June 17th. Hello and welcome to Trump Watch. Throughout his presidency, Donald Trump has continued to portray tariffs, broadly defined as taxes on imports or exports, as a sort of silver bullet for solving international problems, even subjecting some of our closest allies like Canada and Mexico to punishing tariffs virtually unthinkable in the modern era, at least before Trump. He often appears to have never met a tariff he didn't like, but no other country has been bludgeoned by his weapon of choice like China. And with President Trump currently on his way to the G20 summit in Osaka, Japan, promising further tariffs still if Chinese President Xi Jinping doesn't meet with him there, we thought this would be as good a time as ever to check in on the status of the so-called U.S.-China trade war. Joining us now live on the phone to help explain what's happening between the two countries is Sumeya Keynes, U.S. economics editor for The Economist and co-host of the top-notch Trade Talks podcast, which I highly recommend for anyone looking to better understand the administration's economic policy. Hello, Sumeya. Welcome back to Trump Watch. Thanks so much for joining us once again on the show. Thank you so much for having me. What a lovely, what a lovely introduction. (laughs) I don't know if you could hear the clip we just played at the top of the show, but in it, President Trump tells CNBC correspondent Becky Quick that a 25% tariff on $600 billion of Chinese goods is the, quote, best we can have. Trump has obviously always been noticeably pro-tariff. Uh, especially for a Republican. But can you explain what his justification is here for why he seems to believe the higher the tariff, the better, at least in regards to China? Okay, so um, there are a few different reasons uh, why President Trump seems to think that these tariff hikes are a good idea. So first of all, clearly, you know, he's the, he's the negotiator, he's the dealmaker, he looks for ways to gain leverage over his adversaries. Uh, and so here what he's doing is he's saying, well, you know, China didn't want to come to the table and give America trade concessions before I came along. Let's give them a reason to make trade concessions. So you know, if they, they uh, might do things we want to do, um, 
if if we remove these tariffs, that's the that's the bargain he wants the Chinese to to strike. So there's that. I mean, on top of that, there seem to be, you know, decades old conceptions that that President Trump has about about tariffs and and how sensible a policy they are. He seems to like them. He seems to think that they'll raise lots of revenue. He doesn't seem so concerned about the fact that. Um, mostly American importers seem to be the one paying for the tariffs. Uh, you know, in his eyes, that's money for the Treasury. You know, the evidence does suggest that, that actually these tariffs are reducing trade, so it's not like it's not hurting the Chinese as well. Uh, but he does not seem to value uh, or care much about the cost on the American importer. Do you agree that this is an effective way to get the Chinese to submit to some of the trade policies that the U.S. wants? So this has been the big debate. Um, you know, if you look at the history of, of U.S.-China relations, even you know over the last decade or so, uh, the Trump administration is not the first one to be frustrated with the Chinese trade practices, Chinese economic policies. Um, and yet the history of the talks between the U.S. and China has been one of, of the Americans saying, we want you to do this, and the Chinese saying, mm-hmm, uh, sure, and then not really changing things very much. Uh, and so it does look like these tariffs have got the Chinese attention. Um, I think one problem in past negotiations is that the American negotiators would be talking to people who, who simply just weren't empowered to make decisions on behalf of the Chinese. You really need very, very senior leadership to be paying attention if you want to get any kind of change in China. With these tariffs, President Trump does seem to have got the Chinese attention. Now, with all of that said, uh, you know, I think I think the tariffs have been perhaps they could have been slightly more effective than many people um, said they would be. That said, it's possible to get too greedy with the tariffs because with these tariffs, the Trump administration is playing a very you know dicey game because it's being it's, it's very aggressive move, uh, and so you're setting up the Chinese for this very very nasty political game where if they actually do reforms, then it looks like they're caving to American pressure, right? It doesn't, it doesn't look good for them. And then add that to the fact that some of the reforms the Trump administration is asking for are really quite, you know, big. Um, the Trump administration wants changes to Chinese law that would, you know, cement their request in, in, uh, in, in the law. Um, you know, that combined with these tariff threats, that, that, that is it's fairly tough pill to swallow. And, you know, whether it works is a big question over the next, you know, few months. Uh, do the Chinese actually make concessions? Are the, is the U.S. willing to step back on anything? Um, you know, so it, it's probably a bit too early to tell. Can you expand on that last bit a little, a little more? Uh, what specifically does the Trump administration want uh, enshrined in Chinese law? So... I should add the caveat that I have not seen, you know, the, the draft text of the agreement. It's been kept remarkably um, close to, to these negotiators' uh, chests. Um, but, you know, we know that the demands from the Trump administration have been for changes to the way that the Chinese deal with um, intellectual property. Um, there's been, I think, some stuff on data, although I think they may have been less uh, far along on that. 
um, you know, it, it's to do with the fact that the Chinese state is, um, you know, trying to nudge its industry to develop big competitive industries, um, you know, that will compete against the U.S. Uh, you know, the, the the problem, though, with all of this is that Chinese the Chinese state operates in a very particular way. So in, in America, the law is, is kind of what's said on the page, and you have a judiciary that will, you know, you can, you can challenge things and so on. In China, uh, you can have something that's written down. You can have a law that uh, specifies that you shouldn't um, force an American company to hand over its technology to get access to the Chinese market. But in practice, if government officials are telling the companies, oh, yeah, no, but you do actually need to hand over your technology, um, then that doesn't necessarily matter. So, you know, the changes to Chinese law are really, you know, about um, trying to, you know, cement these, these, some of these structural changes that the Americans want. But there are really deep questions about whether that, that could even go far enough. And this government, uh, to add a bit more contrast, this is a president, uh, President Xi, who has recently made himself basically president for life. So how is that particular factor weighing on the negotiations or at least the Chinese position in them? I think, you know, the fact that China is not a democracy uh, is is affecting the negotiations, I think. You know, their, their lack of free press, I think, actually meant that for a very long time, uh, early on in the negotiations, uh, they were keeping very, very tight control over how all of this trade war stuff was playing, right? So they were, they were very much controlling the narrative. You saw there really wasn't very much, you know, aggressive language in the Chinese press about what, what the Americans were doing. That really did change though, when, uh, you know, over the past few months, when, when after the talks collapsed. And, and we, we saw a much harder line, um, I think, you know, claims that, that, these, that giving in to these American requests would really undermine sovereignty, um, you know, it would be, it would be a humiliation uh, if, they, if they gave in. And so I think at the beginning, you know, that there was this idea that, oh, well, you know, maybe they might use the, the kind of autocratic and, and fairly, you know, um, controlling uh, uh, state to kind of control the message and, and perhaps even ease some kind of agreement through. Um, that, that looks a bit harder now because, you know, it, it is the case that President Xi is, is president for life. He has an immense amount of control, but there are still different factions within the Communist Party there, there was a split between hardliners who, who want to pursue China's you know, economic nationalist policies and the, the liberal reformers who, who thought they might be able to use the Trump administration's threats as a way to, to generate reform in China. Right? So there was that disagreement before it looked like the liberal reformers might be able to get, get a deal, and now it looks like the hardliners have, have um, taken a bit more control. Do you have any sense of how the G20 negotiations are going to go between President Trump and the Chinese president? In that same clip at the top of the show, Trump is heard lavishly praising President Xi, but he also appears to be saying that he doesn't even really want a deal. Yeah, I wouldn't overstate, uh, you know, expectations for what's going to come out of this meeting, which which I think is scheduled for around noon on 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 Saturday. I. Uh, 
So that there doesn't seem to have been much news of, of talks between the two sides in the run-up to this. I think the best-case scenario really is that talks would resume in a serious way. So that there have been reports coming out from Bloomberg that that it could be that they will announce a delay of of these tariffs, this this final round of tariffs on about $300 billion worth of goods. So it could be that they'll effectively announce a deadline for a new round of talks. Hopefully there'll be some new energy. Uh, it's definitely the case that the, the personal relationship between President Donald Trump and, and um, Premier Xi Jinping is is strong. Um, and so I suspect that there is there is will towards some kind of agreement. But you know whether they can overcome the the big distance between the two sides in that in that new round of negotiations that that's what really matters what what happens at the g20 whether you know they start that matters for whether um tariffs will come on sooner or later but it's really the substance of the negotiations afterwards that matters more do you see any possible outcome where these tariffs or additional tariffs on china have the affect the administration wants of getting China to pass these laws or back off on their uh, controversial requirements to be have uh, intellectual property, secret intellectual property revealed to them in their business dealings? Um, I, so this is the Trump administration and you know, um, it's possible that they're going to get some kind of deal. Um, it's it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen with all of this stuff. Um, I will say that that I am skeptical that the Trump administration will be able to achieve absolutely everything of what you know the the people who want structural change want to achieve. Um, so you know, the answer to this has always been: if they are happy with a shallow deal, then sure, anything's possible. Um, if they want, you know, everything, if they want deep, deep structural change in the way that the Chinese operate their economy, um, that seems fairly impossible to me. Um, and so really, I think it's just, you know, how much is the U.S. going to compromise? Um, so, for example, it's clear that, you know, the, the, the Chinese system has this very, very fuzzy relationship between the government and the private sector, right? There's a, there's a huge gray area where what looks like a private sector company is actually getting a lot of subsidized loans from state-owned banks. They've got, you know, members of the Communist Party on the board. Um, it, it's very unclear. And obviously that, that matters for whether you think these companies are getting unfair help from the government, um, so that's a huge point of contention. Obviously, the American you know, companies and workers would complain that they're competing not on a level playing field, right? They want to change to that so that they, could, they can have fair competition, right? Um, but the Chinese government is not about to change that way of, of operating things in a, in, a sort of, in a way that would take it anywhere that was very close to what, for example, America has or, or Western European countries have. So you're not just saying that the Trump course of action to get that kind of systemic change in China, uh, that that it's impossible to get any kind of change through their course of action, but also through any course of action? Or is there a strategy that you think could possibly get that kind of cooperation from the Chinese government? 
So the alternative strategy that was 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 initiated by the Obama administration was it was a carrot approach rather than a stick approach. So the other way of doing it would be to agree new trade deals um, that that set out the kinds of rules that we would want a trading partner to adhere to. Um, now. Whether that would have been enough to get the Chinese to to undertake this kind of massive reform of, of their economic system, I'm I'm extremely skeptical that that would have worked in the short run. That was only a first step. Um, it wasn't it wasn't kind of certainly going to work. It certainly would have been more kind of constructive um, in the short run. Um, but you know, I, I, China is big, right? China is big. It's getting bigger. <laughs> Um, it, you know, the U.S. is not as important as as it once was. Um, you know, I worry that now, you know, China could always say, "Well, we'll just we'll just wait it out, right?" Because their power is only increasing, um, and so there isn't a, a massive incentive for them at the moment to to completely reform their their own system, at least not in response to to foreign pressure, right? They they. It could be that they decide internally, oh yeah, no, these things are the best things for us to do, but they can they can kind of wait out um, foreign pressure. I'm speaking with Sumeya Keynes, U.S. Ec- economics editor for The Economist. Excuse me. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. Uh, earlier today, Sumeya, the Wall Street Journal reported that both U.S. and Chinese companies are avoiding tariffs by rerouting goods through other surrounding countries like Vietnam and Malaysia. Does this kind of report give President Xi any additional bargaining power with President Trump at the G20? So these are the reports that... Um so essentially what it looks like has been going on is that um, as a result of all this trade war action, um, trade has been diverted and is and rather than coming from China, I mean, some trade has gone from China to, to Vietnam, it's been transformed and then it seems to have come to the U.S. Um, but, uh, but it does look like other trading partners in Asia have, have kind of picked up where, where Chinese trade has, has dropped off. Um, so I think that says a few things. So one, it says it confirms what all trade economists know, which is you know trade is like water. Um, if you try and squash it in one place, it's just going to flow through a crack somewhere else. So insofar as President Donald Trump is upset about the trade deficit between the U.S. and China, um, if that is if that falls, then it's then it's likely that 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 the trade deficit is just going to increase with other countries um, because the drivers of that trade deficit are fundamentally not to do with um, uh, you know, trade deals or, or anything really that, that Donald Trump can control with these tariffs. Um, so that, that is, is kind of one, one message. Um, uh, but then also, you know, I think that the diversion of trade, to the extent that, that companies are deciding as a result of all this trade war action to move out of China and into other countries and send products to the to America. That is kind of what the Trump administration wants. So actually, it's it's good for the U.S. In, well, it's good. It's it's not necessarily good for the U.S. It's good for the Trump administration, um, insofar as they are concerned that too much production went to China. Uh, the security folks in the Trump administration, the the you know the defense type, they're very concerned about too much 
being under the, under the watch, under the control of the Chinese Communist Party. So perhaps if it moves to these other Asian countries, fine, the, the trade deficit may just be moving somewhere else. But if it gets further away from the Chinese Communist Party, then, then they might be actually quite pleased about that. So it's not actually an own goal for, for the Trump administration. That is, that is part of one of the, the objectives there. I'm so glad you brought up the trade deficit because this is a real uh, bee in the bonnet of President Trump. He brings up this deficit as a reason for almost every tariff action, at least that I could find. Can you talk a little bit more about the trade deficit and why this president finds it so problematic? I think the way uh, President Donald Trump thinks about the deficit is is kind of winning-losing, right? Um, he wants American jobs. He wants Americans to, to sell overseas. His imports is losing and exports is winning, um, you know, which the, the, I guess the technical term for that would be mercantilism. Um, uh, so he, he has this fairly simple um, view of, of international uh, economics. Um, it's it's fairly contentious within economics, I suppose. Um, I think the thing that that most economists agree on is that the bilateral trade deficit doesn't really matter so much. So it doesn't matter if you have a trade deficit with, you know, China versus Vietnam. Um, the overall trade deficit can matter for various reasons for the American economy. But but obsessing about the bilateral trade deficit with one country isn't a good idea because. As I just said, if you try to remove, if you try to reduce it with one country without solving the underlying drivers of of the trade deficit, then that is just going to move to a different country. And and you know the fundamental driver of that, if, you know, putting on my 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 very geeky economist hat, um, would be uh, you know basically uh, that Americans are not uh, saving enough. Um, so so there are these big macroeconomic forces that determine trade deficits, they're not very easily affected by trade deals. Um, and then that, you know, which means tariffs. Um, and so, you know, President Donald Trump, I think, has, has met a lot of criticism for, for his set of views on that. As is a common problem on this show, we can't see inside the brain of Donald Trump. But as someone that follows the windy road of this administration's trade policy, do you get any sense if the president really thinks the country makes money from tariffs or if it, he simply sees the political advantage of presenting that case? Um, I think the consistency with which he, he tweets out that, that the U.S. is making money from tariffs suggests that he does really think it. Although, again, it's a, it's a fool's errand reading too much into the mind of the president. Um, I mean, it is true that the tariffs are raising money for the Treasury, right? They are a tax. Taxes raise money for the Treasury. The issue is that they are costing American importers money, right? So, so he's right to say that, that America is collecting tariff revenue. That is true. Um, clearly, it's not a very... Um, you know, it, it would give a more accurate picture to, to give a, a broader analysis of the costs of these things. But clearly, that's not something he's interested in doing, perhaps for, for political reasons. Finally, in the last minute we have here, for the more math-challenged listeners like myself, 
who are having a hard time grasping just how big a piece of the U.S. economy we're talking about here. Can you talk a bit about the long-term picture for our economy if these tariffs continue to escalate at the way they're going? Yeah, I, I think, so as much as I am sad to say this, as someone who obsesses about trade, Actually, in the grand scheme of things, the U.S. economy is not a very, very open one. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm now going to screw up with the exact numbers off the top of my head. But last time I checked, I think it was something like trade was, I think it was something like 13, 15 percent of GDP. And that's certainly much less than other, other um, uh, economies. And so it is, it is worth putting this all in context. Um, I think the big danger with all of this trade war um, has been that the trade war would would essentially worry businesses so much that they would they would cut investment that would feed into jobs consumers shoppers might might feel worried and that might cut into spending i think it's the effect of this trade war on uncertainty on confidence that carries the biggest risk for the american economy uh, more more that than the direct effects of these taxes going in and that that first one this this risk is is very very difficult to quantify which is i think why people are so worried they don't know how bad it could get and is the reaction in china much the same or has the us so far been on the losing end so china is not doing very well uh out of this trade war it's very difficult to compare them um i know donald trump likes the stock market um the Chinese stock market has been doing various things. It's not as important um, relative to the, the size of the U.S. economy as, as um, in China. Um, you know, they, are, they have been suffering. Uh, their exports have been falling. Uh, more generally, they've been um, suffering from a slowing economy. So that they're not having a great time of it. Uh, obviously, not all of that is because of the trade war, but it would be, would be wrong to say that they're having um, – that they're – that they're being very, very, very resilient to all of these changes. Trade is more important to their economy than it is for the U.S. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've been speaking with Sumeya Keynes, U.S. economics editor for The Economist and co-host of the Trade Talks podcast. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. And that's all for this week. Reggie Johnson engineered this program live. You can hear all 119 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. Join us again next week when we'll break down a different aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. (music) 